miracle that you perform through the humble, foolish preaching of the gospel, that, Father, your Holy Spirit, not the power of any man, would awaken dead hearts to life, would draw your people to yourself, would conform us to the image of Christ, would strengthen us, help us, rebuke us, teach us, guide us, and cause us to rest more and more in Jesus as we hope in him and hold out hope for that day when all things will be made new. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please take a seat. We're very near the end of the book of Isaiah now, and many of the things which Isaiah was showing us in hints and in shadows at the beginning of the book have now become much more fully fleshed out, like how God is going to save the remnant of his people through his Messiah. That salvation uh, that he has prepared for us, who that salvation is for, we've seen that fleshed out. That was a pretty significant focus last week where we saw that the confident, self-assured, self-involved, self-righteous worshipers would be cut off while a humble people who trusted in God's salvation, many of whom might have seemed like they were far off, were the people who God extended his eternal blessings to. Isaiah this week is going to expound on that last note from last week's passage, the eternal blessings given to God's people. And he's going to flesh that out into this beautiful, vivid, fantastic vision of the blessings that are going to come. Now, kids, I want to ask you a question. What is, and you can, you can whisper the answer to your parents if you want to, what is the greatest memory you have, the best day that you had, or maybe the best place you ever went? Now, you might say that is a silly question, Jordan, because that is obviously being here at church with all of you, listening to you preach. But, that's fair, that's a good point. But, the second then, what is the best memory that you had, the greatest place that you went? It might have been a vacation that was really special, it might have been just a wonderful day out, or really just a, a perfect, peaceful day that you had. Isaiah is going to paint a picture for us this morning of the most wonderful place, the most fantastic time, the most amazing experience in all of history. And I want you to think, what makes it so wonderful? If you had to think about one thing that makes this beautiful picture of what is going to come so wonderful, what makes it so great? Think about that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point that out later. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah 65, and we're going to read verses 17 to 25. Isaiah 65, 17 to 25. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days 
or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They, are, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of my people. And my chosen shall enjoy long, shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Isaiah opens with, behold, come, look, see, gather around what I'm going to show you. And then he bursts forth in this enormous picture of God's promises. God who created all things before they fell promises that he will create everything anew again, so new that what came before is not even going to come to mind. Parallel to the promise of a new heavens and a new earth is the promise of a new Jerusalem. And we're reminded once again that as much as Isaiah is looking almost entirely to the distant eternal future, he still has an audience who are very anxious about approaching exile or being in exile in Babylon. Isaiah is promising that Jerusalem, after they are removed from it, will be remade. They will enjoy security and peace there again. But we already know, Scripture tells us, that hope was just a shadow. It had more longing in it than it had satisfaction. It was fleeting. They were left looking for not just a reconstructed city, but a new creative work that would touch everything that God had made, where sin and suffering would not even be a memory. So our first point is to ask, how is that going to come about? And we know that this is exactly what Jesus came to accomplish through the gospel. Jesus came to bring about that newness which God was promising now, of course, in Jesus' ministry, we find just the most wonderful, beautiful, amazing announcement that God is indeed making things anew. And we see that when a man dies and is buried and three days later comes out of the grave again. Jesus' resurrection was this miraculous proclamation of newness. His body rose glorified, incorruptible, unable, never to die ever again. And this makes Jesus not just a sign of a new creation, but the actual beginning, the first fruits, as the Bible says, of God's new creation. Isaiah told us already that when Jesus died, it was on our behalf. He bore our sins. He took our punishment. He was dying our death. And then, just like we are united with Jesus in his death, we are united with him in his resurrection. When you trust in Jesus, if your trust is in him, you did die on the cross with him. And if you did die on the cross with him, you rose again with him. And from the moment you trust in Jesus, 
You yourself are indeed a new creation. Luke read this for us. If anyone is in Christ, in him in his death, in him in his resurrection, in him now, in him for eternity, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus said, when you trust in him, what will you be? You'll be born again. You'll be regenerated, newly created. And then, as this people who are already made new, we can actually see newness being worked in us by the Holy Spirit in our sanctification. Our salvation is not just a change of mind. It is not just a change of belief. It is a total renovation and recreation of ourselves. You and I are miraculously made new by God because we have shared in the death and resurrection of Jesus. While we can celebrate that God is doing that work now, that that work is already happening, we know this work is far from finished. In the meantime... We are experiencing the, the, the miracle of the new creation, but even the experiencing of that miracle is causing us to feel this incredible tension with the old that is still at work, even in our bodies. Paul said, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. You might have heard that from Paul and immediately felt, thought, I know what that feels like. I understand that experience. You can feel your mind being renewed. You know that you have new life, that you are a new creation from God. But at the same time, your body still feels the effects of the fall and sin. It feels like the old. And Romans 8 says, all creation is feeling that too. It is groaning, it is longing, it is waiting. It's waiting with you. And it's waiting for a day that is going to come. Because what God is doing in you is just the beginning. The day will come when Paul says the perishable will put on the imperishable. The mortal will put on immortality. And death itself is going to be swallowed up in victory. And we will sing over it as a defeated enemy. And all creation will see it. And all creation will experience it. We can see that at the end of Revelation. And John's vision at the end of Revelation actually builds upon the vision that we have from Isaiah that we're reading this morning. John speaks, again, both of the new heavens and new earth and also of the new Jerusalem. In Revelation 21, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. John goes on to say, Then came one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. John calls this Jerusalem the bride of Jesus. This is in keeping with the prophets and the apostles who tell us the new Jerusalem is known by her citizens, the people that are united with God through Jesus. 
Paul tells us that this Jerusalem, even already above, we see that it's being created, it's going to come down, that even now this Jerusalem is our mother. Hebrews says we are a part of that with all the saints that came before us, everybody from Hebrews 11 and more going back to Abraham, those who've gone on to glory on earth and in heaven, God is creating his Zion, just as he is already forming a new creation in us. And that new Jerusalem will one day beautifully come down, be revealed, fully finished, magnificently shown as the bride of Jesus when we are together glorified to live with God. God's promise is that if you trust in Jesus, then you are right now his new creation. You are even now citizens of the new Jerusalem, even as we await the revelation of these things and that final wonderful creation of the new heavens and new earth. So everything we have and everything we hope for depends upon the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And this new creative work will surely be completed when? When Jesus comes back, when he himself is revealed in glory. This means that if you know Jesus has already died, if you know that, if you know he's already risen, if your hope is in him, then you can have absolute confidence that the new creative work that is actually being done in you now will surely be brought to completion along with the work God will do in all the heavens and earth. The Spirit in you now doing that miraculous work is your guarantee, your seal from God, your assurance, just as he has already done amazing things in you. He will bring it to completion in you and in all the world. Isaiah gives us now this wonderful look at what that is going to look like, what you can have total confidence that God will surely bring about. It's our next point. Let's look at the eternal promises of God's new creation. That groaning that you feel, that pain that reminds you that the outer self is wasting away, it will be gone. Weakness and sickness and the decay of our bodies same will be true of the groaning in the earth around us. Hurricanes and tornadoes and volcanoes. These beautiful wonders of nature that have been turned into terrifying monsters will one day have all their teeth taken out. The attacks of animals, harvests that destroy weather. Sickness done. From the dirt beneath us to the planets above us, all creation will be purged of the curse. All made prayer and praise. Totally remade as an Eden that touches every corner of what God has made. That peace will extend even to the animals. No more predator and no more prey. Lions tamed like cattle. Submitting gently and happily to our hand. As we exercise dominion over creation as we were made to. The beauties of creation from mountains to seas, from tigers to jungles. We will be free to explore them. They will hold no terror for us. We can delight in them. We can praise God for them without any trepidation or concern. And they will feel no trepidation and concern around us. Every place that once showed the stain of sin 
will totally fulfill its purpose of glorifying God. This is creation made new. And this is true because the great enemies of God's people, the enemies which at one point might have looked undefeatable, will now be totally and completely dealt with. Among the animals which Isaiah says will enjoy the new creation, he mentions the serpent and says dust will be the serpent's food. Now this is a direct reference to Genesis 3. And it is surprisingly something that will be the same as it was under God's curses. Why is that true? Why does the serpent still roll in the dust like God said he would in Genesis 3? Because the curse of the serpent was a promise to us that the snake would have its head crushed, smushed into the dirt. And that promise came about just as surely as Jesus felt his heel bruised when he was on the cross. Isaiah is assuring us that God's curse upon the serpent will fully, completely be fulfilled. It will surely have its head shoved into the dust by the conquest of Jesus. The great serpent who tempted humanity, the devil, will see his total and final subjugation and defeat cast into the lake of fire for his rebellion against God. This will also be the end of death and all of the despair and loss and pain that come with it. Isaiah says that in God's new Jerusalem, no more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. The loss of children is perhaps the most gut-wrenching, evident example of the pain of the curse. To lose a child is not just to lose one that you love, but it is to have your future with them taken away. It feels like a loss of hope as well as love, doesn't it? Then Isaiah reminds us that even the death of the oldest person feels like an unnatural loss as well, doesn't it? After we've been so long together, how can it be right and normal that we should be parted, stolen away from each other? God promises that one day, in the new heavens and the new earth, that will all be done with. Isaiah says, the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. This is a tricky saying in the Hebrew, and it follows Isaiah's pattern of using the negative to point us to a positive. It's hard to grasp things that are perfect, that are eternal, without contrasting them with their negative. Even words like infinite and undefiled do that for us, don't they? Isaiah does this now. He points to what is infinitely perfect by contrasting it with a negative. Of course, the initial return from Jerusalem, in many ways, the work that God brings about already is going to result in a peace that will bring about a preservation of life. That will be a good thing. But Isaiah says that in the new heavens and the new earth, one would be a child if they died at a hundred. One would be counted an accursed sinner if they lived to be a hundred years old. If someone lives to be a hundred nowadays, we generally consider them the most blessed and happy of people, don't we? Given health and longevity. But in Christ's kingdom, it would be a curse. Because in Christ's kingdom, we will reach a thousand years old. And then we will reach a million years old. When we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. 
death itself will one day be a fully, finally, completely defeated enemy and the curse totally removed. Isaiah says our days will be like a tree, firmly planted, rooted, fed, immovable. And in contrast with that suffering of losing a young one, he now says they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Future hope in the family of God, fully fixed, secured, and guaranteed. The end of futility and the end of ends. To see the end of the devil and the end of death means we will see the end of sin. One certainly would be counted an accursed sinner if they died at 100, but Isaiah assures us that no single sinner, indeed no single sin, is going to find a place in the newly created heavens and earth, in the new Jerusalem. Every sinner who has not already been repented and made new in Christ will be completely cast out of that place into the realm of God's punishment. Isaiah again uses the negation to show us how amazing it will be to be in Christ's kingdom when it's rid of sin. He tells us what you're never going to find there. We will never find work or labor that we do in vain. We will never experience weather or theft or difficulties that mean that our hard work will fail to produce the harvest that we hoped for. Never again will we fear that there could suddenly come a conflict, a war, an invasion, an enemy that could cut off our hope, that could leave the fruit of our work enjoyed by someone else. We never need to fear that we will be displaced from our home in the new Jerusalem. Isaiah doesn't just say that those sins will be absent. He says the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. This is not meant to be a reference so much to amnesia, but to say that the former pains and enemies and sins will be so far removed, first and foremost, even from the mind of God, and thus from the world and from us, that we will not even be troubled by the scars, the anxieties, the lingering pain. There'll be nothing else that needs to be done or needs to be felt. All of that will be left behind, sin and all of its entrails. Everyone will surely remember the reason that they are in this kingdom. That we are a new creation because of the salvation Jesus worked for us. But so complete will be that salvation that the pain and the animosity and the trouble of what came before will not trouble us or the world anymore, nor will it be found brought up by God in his kingdom ever again. This reminds us that the new heavens and the new earth are a place of lasting joy. God says of his new creation, no more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping or the cry of distress. With the end of sin and death and the devil will come the end of grief and sorrow that they brought into the world. The end of war and famine and futility and the end of loss, the end of, end of loss of loved ones, the end of grief, the end of fear and anxiety that sin and despair brings into our lives. Perfect peace and rest. For some of us, that might be one of the sweetest promises we've heard so far. Lasting, perfect rest. 
our minds wholly devoted to the joyful worship of God without sin, without sorrow. Friends, God knows your sorrows. He cares for you deeply now and is intimately aware of your suffering. His word often reminds you and exhorts you in it, doesn't he? His plans for it, his plans for your perseverance, how he's working all things for good, but all of that builds towards a hope that he extends to you and does not want you to forget that the day is coming when your pain will be finally, fully, and forever finished. The Lord wants you to cling to that promise. He wants you to be comforted by it today while you are still walking through many trials. The day will come when you will know total, peaceful, perfect rest. You who are blessed by the Lord will one day have nothing to ever disturb these blessings again. But when Isaiah speaks of the new heavens and the new earth as a place of rejoicing, a place where old things are forgotten, you might notice that we who enjoy this kingdom are certainly in view, but we are not the first ones he is referring to. Verse 18, Be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy. Whose joy? And her people to be a gladness. Whose gladness? I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Friends, the new heavens and the new earth we see here will certainly be a place where we rejoice in God. Did you know that it is also the place where God will rejoice in you? In everything that Christ has done in you. In who you are now through Christ. He will rejoice to see you so joyful. To see how Jesus has become your reason for joy. You will be the delight of your Father. And He will be glad in you. He'll be glad in you as He is so near to you. The greatest accomplishment of Jesus in making all things new is that we are reconciled perfectly to God. Eden was not just wonderful because it was full of pleasant trees. Jerusalem that David built was not just good because it was a magnificent, strong city. These places were good because they were the places where God's presence was known. And the new heavens and the new earth, the new Eden that touches all creation, that is the place where God will walk among us in the cool of the day. The new Jerusalem is where God will dwell among his people. Now, kids, I want to return to my question earlier. Your favorite memory, your favorite place. What, first and foremost, makes it so special? How special would your favorite memory have been, your favorite place, if you were there all alone? Was maybe a big part of what made that day or that place so special to you, that you got to do it with your family and your friends? And the people you loved aren't the most special moments special because of those we are with, because they are enjoying them with us. Not that we just get to enjoy something, but we get to enjoy other people enjoying it. We get to enjoy their enjoyment of our enjoyment. What makes the promises of the new heavens and the new earth best of all? 
the most wonderful gift among all these other promises, in many ways the foundation on which they lay is that we will enjoy lasting, eternal, joyful, peaceful intimacy with our God. God says in that day, before they call, I'll answer. While they're yet speaking, I will hear. God will be so, 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 so close to you. A relationship of complete rest and intimacy and joy. Again, it's hard to describe, isn't it? The eternal kingdom of Jesus will be a place where you are surrounded by, you are filled by, you are immersed in the gladness of God, your Father. He will be with us always. He'll be delighting in the beauties of the creation he has made for us to inhabit. And when that wonderful creation leads us to worship, God is going to enjoy that worship. He will take joy in his son as we are singing praises to Jesus for all he's done. God joyful in Jesus. Jesus joyful in his father. Jesus and the father joyful in us and us joyful in them. One of my sweetest memories as a child myself, I don't know if I thought it was that sweet then, was when I was invited by my dad and we would go walk in the back fields of the farm and he would talk to me about the Lord. And we could just be there together. And you know, most of us men, when we think about being a young man, we remember how silly we were. But with all the silliness that came with it, I think back and I didn't, I didn't see so much of that because of my father's enjoyment of me of how proud he was of me because he took me there to delight in his relationship with me. Some of you might have an experience like that. Some of you might not. For all of us, that is just an inkling of what you are going to experience with your father. To walk hand in hand, as it were, with your father through the fields of the new heavens and the new earth as he enjoys you. As he is proud of you. As he delights in you and you delight in him. It's hard to imagine a sweeter hope than that, is it? If you have never put your trust in Jesus, if you're still not sure what you believe in or what you trust in, Have you really thought of better promises than that for yourself? Can you ever hope to achieve something like that? Something near to it? Right now, you are God's enemy. You are his opponent. You are the enemy of this kingdom. But because Jesus bore the wrath of sinners, God says, just reject it. Just run from it. Just trust in Christ. And all of these eternal promises are yours. He wants you to have them. He wants you to hold on to them. You go from death and an eternity, which you are currently ignoring and fearing, to an eternity that you can hope in. Life everlasting with the Father who made you, delighting in you. And you can have even today the seal and the first fruits of that, so you can be confident in it. Friend, be troubled and do not rest until your hope is firmly and only in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Finally, let us talk about walking 
in newness of hope. If this is the promised future, what does that mean for you today? Do you think it's going to have at least a little bit of an effect on how you live in the first fruits of the new creation now? Friends, our Father has already drawn us near by His Spirit. You can call on Him. He already will answer you. You can enjoy Him. He already delights in you. He delights in everything Jesus has done from you. He has given you citizenship in Zion, and He has surrounded you with the citizens of Zion, the church where we come together to experience the benefits, the blessings of the new Zion, even now. The church is where we, who are new in Christ, gather together as his renewed people, along with Abraham and David and Moses and Daniel and everyone who came before us in heaven. This gathering right here, this is the foretaste of God's new heavens and new earth as we have been made new, as we are being renewed by the Spirit, this is where you get to enjoy and experience the first fruits of everything that Isaiah has promised us in the renewed creation. And the Spirit even now is going to use this family to work that newness in us. This is the place where people who are once enemies are going to reconcile. This is the place where people who once hated others are going to preserve life. This is the place where those who enjoyed strife and division are going to live peacefully. We will do this even as the world around us might do the opposite to us. We will love our enemies. We will be good to those who persecute us. And we will bring these gifts of the new creation with us wherever we go. Wherever the church goes, wherever God's people are, we bring with us not just the hope of the new creation, but the evidence of it, the effects of it, and the power of it. Yes, we will still sin. But we will even then point to the new creation being worked in us when we repent hate living that way, long to live like we will live in the new heavens and new earth, even as we put our hope in the day where this will be fully, finally complete and we will be glorified. Now all of this points to one warning that I want to stop and offer this morning. In the verses surrounding this passage, Isaiah has reminded us that he is speaking to two audiences. First, he speaks to those who might feel far off from God, but need to know that because their trust is in him, their hope is surely secure. If you trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus as, his, as your only hope, your punishment is taken. He has borne the wrath of an enemy so that you could be reconciled to God. Then you can know that he is near you. He takes joy in you. You are surely invited to the place of eternal nearness with your heavenly Father. But Isaiah is also speaking to those who are confident in themselves. They might be generally thought of as a part of God's family because they are so keen to pursue the marks of that, maybe even show that they are the best among God's family. But their hope, their desire, even in the church, is all for themselves. 
their standing among others, their confidence in their works. Even if, like the Pharisees, they still acknowledge a God, their main desire is to show him how impressive they are, that they have done enough. They are in their hearts still an enemy of God and the citizens of Zion. So, you might be one of those people. You like to hear about the promises of the new creation, but your thoughts and actions show that you are an opponent of those promises right now. You might not mind promises like the end of war, prosperity, eternal life, but you have no interest in nearness to God, in worship, in reconciliation. You don't care about those things now that God is promising. You are an opponent of your own sanctification. If you exert no energy to live as a new creation now, to enjoy new creation life, you have no reason to expect that you will enjoy it when it comes in fullness. Isaiah promised an end of strife, but you regularly stir up division and disputes. Isaiah says, life will abound, but you have regularly had a heart full of indignation and anger to those who you count as opponents and obstacles. Isaiah says, our toil will reap a harvest that will not be stolen away by others, but you are the one going around always thinking about yourself, and you are so self-involved that it is impossible for you to see how regularly you have treated others unkindly, unfairly even cruelly, even taken away their pleasure and their joy because you were so concerned about getting everything you wanted for yourself. Isaiah says this will be the kingdom where God's people dwell in perfect harmony and joy, but you have no interest in the other people of God besides what you want. Friend, you can't hate everything God does in us now and somehow expect to be glad when that work is completed later. As you are so self-involved that you oppose and mistreat God's family, I have one sobering question for you. Might it be that God's comforting promise to his church is that one day you will be removed from them? One day, they are no longer going to have to bear with you. They will be freed from your opposition so that they can enjoy the blessings of their father. This warning strikes you you wonder, this might not be true of you, here is just one of Paul's many exhortations. Ephesians 4, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, the Gentiles being who you yourself were when you were not with the people of Christ, not with the bride of Christ. They walk in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, to greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard of him and were taught in him as the truth is in you, in Jesus. Taught to put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul tells us, if you are renewed, then be renewed. 
Be renewed in your mind. If you are a new creation, then put on the new self created after God's likeness. If you are made holy, then put on holiness. Embedded here is a little warning. If indeed you have heard and been taught of Jesus, Paul is saying if you are totally unable to walk in newness of life that is yours in the Spirit, if you've got no interest in it or even an enemy of it, just go back and ask. Have you trusted in the gospel and become a new creation at all? This is a good exhortation for all of us. Because sin does still plague us. We still battle with the old, don't we? So this reminder is for all of us. If you are renewed, be renewed. Let us not just desire and delight in future promises. I, 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 I'm, God one day is going to make everything right, and I'm just going to have to wait for that to happen. Let us delight in the new creation and its present gifts. If the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God is in us now, then we can already enjoy the fruit of that Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. These gifts are going to help us to be patient for the day when those final promises are fulfilled. Peter tells us, since all these things, this old creation is thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought we to be? In lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Brothers and sisters, if you desire that that day would come, we long for these joys that Isaiah has vividly shared with us, then let us live today in light of them, like Peter has said. Not just waiting for them, but hastening that day. That doesn't mean that we're going to change the plans of God. God tells us why he has not yet brought that final day about. There are more people he wants in that kingdom, more reconciled people he wants to share in his joy. That work is not yet complete, and you are invited to take part in it. To participate in it by the proclamation of the gospel and living lives of holiness and godliness, which testify that there is indeed a new creation which is already coming about in us. In all of this, let us hold on to our hope. No matter what trials upset this world, no matter what fears and anxieties plague the old creation, we wait for these promises. We keep our eyes fixed on them. We have a real, firm, actual, unchanging hope in them so that we can say with Paul, this light momentary affliction, and Paul is not taking our afflictions lightly when he says that, this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison an eternal weight of glory. Praise God, it is being prepared for us even now. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that you give us. We thank you for your word that it is so vivid and so rich and so deep in speaking to us of your promises. Father, we praise you for these promises. We thank you that we also have a seal of those promises in the Holy Spirit in a new creative work that has already begun in us. Father, may we not oppose that work of creation now. As we hope for your promises, may we live in them. And I pray, Father, that all of us here would have not just a vague uh, desire that we might one day make it through into your kingdom, but we would have a firm 
hope in the death and resurrection of Jesus, trusting that it was our punishment he took, our death he died, that we were united with him in his death and thus in his resurrection so that we are totally confident in his new creative work now and when he glorifies us and everything is made new again. Father, we praise you and thank you. Pray that Jesus would come soon. In his name we pray, amen.